welcome to episode 47 Fish Across the Ponds, Miami Marlins UK podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and this week we're a tripod. We have Dan Healy. Dan, how are you? I'm very well, Pete. How are you? I'm good as well, mate. Thanks. I'm good. Uh, we also have Rob Newell. Rob, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I've been sort of warming up in the garden, ready for that call up to the 60 man, but didn't quite happen. No, I think Max Meyer got my place, which is a bit of a shame. Yep, yep. Max Max signed his deal, I believe, today. So um, uh, that 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 took that last spot on the on the 60 man. So maybe next year, mate, for that one. Um, guys, good to talk. Uh, a lot has changed in in many aspects of of baseball and life and the world and everything in in the past. What? month and a half so it's good to talk i think guys where we're at we've got so much we can dive into um but i'm gonna start from the back end um <laughs> so he says and um we're gonna start with i guess uh what the season is and what it now is gonna be this year and let's pick the bones out of that and work out what this season um means for the marlins what it could mean for us and then we'll kind of, I guess, go backwards in time, perhaps, and, and touch upon some of the, the draft-related elements as well to kind of round things up. So let me, I guess, set the scene. Um, we've, we now have, I guess, full clarity on what this season is. And it's a 60-game season, 40 games in division, 20 games in uh, against the, uh, I guess, the the AL version of the East. So we have 60 games in total, 40 NL East, 20 AL East, which in reality creates an absolutely brutal schedule for, for the Marlins um, and everyone uh, in, in this side of the, the draw, so to speak. We have a universal DH. We've got a runner starting on second in extra innings. We've got a 60-man player pool. Whew. Um, we're going to start back end of july summer camp started today first of july as we record this so we've got we've got a three-week tune-up which is mainly into into squad um and um we're all gearing up for um you know everything being well starting on the 24th 25th of july and what becomes a 60 game sprint finish no no changes no variation to the postseason so it is what it is or what it has always been, although there were talks of extensions. Um, let's let's pick the bones out of that. Firstly, Rob, come to you. Come to you first. Um, what <laughs> the Marlins are in a real tough spot in the division. <laughs> what can be expected from us here? Are, are, are we in this, or are we are we <laughs> are we just going to be? Uh, I guess tanking away for for this season as well well we've got a chance because if you think about it we if this was a normal season in some kind of strange parallel universe we're really sitting at 500 with two months to go if that makes any sense now when was the last time that happened so of course we're in it but everybody's in it so you could have situations where um you only want someone to get on a really really good hot start and um, they could carry it away. But it might not be the teams you're expecting. It might not be the New York Yankees. It might not be the Houston Astros. It could be us. We could be the ones who have had the hot start. 
and it has happened before in um uh 2009 i think it was um we had uh, an incredible uh, start to the season where we won uh, 11 out of 12 games so if we got into a, a, a streak like that you know the, then we're definitely in it and that's the thing it, it's a shootout now and this is the other thing that probably gives, you know, where Don Mattingly was saying that, yes, we've got a chance, we're in it, uh, we're in a pennant race, is that the fact that um, you don't need that really big kind of solid squad that, you know, if you get a few injuries, you've got those people there to, to, to pick it up in the background, sitting in your 40 man or sitting in your AAA side. We're there. We've got coming off good form off the uh, uh, spring training when it then finished. And all the young players are up for it. So, of course, we're in it. There's another way of looking at this. And I've looked at every single season. And I've looked at our record in the first 60 games. And it goes like this. And these are the number of games we've won out of those first 60 games. Obviously, if you win 30, you're at 500. So, 93, 29, 94, 30. And I'll keep going down the years. 20, 27, 31 in 1997, a dismal 17 in 1998, uh, 1999 we were 23, then 27, 28, 30, 27, 2004, 34. If we did that season, that's a 570 average. 2005 we were 31, 23, 29, 2008 it was 32. And if you scroll all the way down again, there's a few others there where we've, we've managed to hit over the 500. Uh, and the, the the biggest one recently was 2014, which was a season where actually we'd torn everything down in 2012. We were in the state of rebuild. So at that point, we managed to go um, 5.30 in our first 60 games with a team that was not supposed to do anything. So there is a chance, even if your team's not very good. And I also wonder whether we're going to end up with some kind of very bizarre, um, you know, end, uh, sort of post-season. Could we see teams... That, random teams like the Royals or someone like that also pop up it, it's uh, it's anyone's game yeah ab absolutely I, you're right everyone will be thinking the same thing that they're in it they're going to start everyone's starting in you know tied for first at the end of July so everyone is absolutely in the race which is which is funny I mean Something I should add, and I, I need to call this out early. I, I have to hold my hands up and, and thank the Marlins and Jason Latimer um, for uh, including me into what is now the media access and availability um, for the Marlins. So what that's meant is this week I've, I've been able to sit in and listen to Michael Hill, Don Mattingly and, and Miguel Rojas talking about, um, I guess, the, the prospects for the season ahead. And when I look back to, the, to those conversations... Um, you know, Michael Hill's, I guess, main soundbite that came out of that was, why not us? And I think that is going to be, at least for the next few weeks, the hashtag that follows around the Marlins, isn't it? It's going to be everything linked to the Marlins now will be, why not us? Dan, the man, you are the positive man always, mate. I mean, listen, 162 down to 60, this is a good thing for us, right? I mean, we are in the mix. Um, and we could surprise a few. We have the pitching to surprise a few, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, yeah, the Marlins have got to uh, absolutely got to embrace that hashtag. All this, you know, one toss Miami and just getting started and all that lot. It has got to be now this season. Why not us? That is absolutely ingrained in it. 
Um, but yeah, I, I agree, Pete. Um, I mean, the, the thing is with this season is it's a complete freebie now. Um, whatever happens, it doesn't matter. The, the, it's, it's almost like it's not real. So we've got like a pass this year. So when when you've got a 162-game season in front of you, as much as you'd like to think that this season would have been a season of progression, um, over 162 games, you always think that quality would see would work out its order when you've got that much going on. A 60-game shootout, we've Marlins have shown that on their day they can beat literally anybody in this league. So it is exciting. You just said that as well then, that we've got the pitching to be able to do it. Um, yeah, I think that, that there's no reason other to look at this season as just a, you know, throw the gloves on the floor, just go and enjoy it and see what you can do because we, we are in it. We, we It seems a bit absurd to say it, but... It's, it's a freebie. It's a shootout. And yeah, I, I, because that whole consistency stage of it has gone over 162 games, we just just go out there and give it your best shot. Absolutely. I think it's, it's going to be really exciting, really good. We're used to playing in front of empty stadiums as well. So that will help us. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, and, um, yeah it's, a, it's a complete um, new entity that we're going into. And I'm, I'm really excited to be able to watch it all unfold. <laughs> I love the en- empty stadium thing and in, in many ways I mean because that is you know this is one of the ramifications of this season is it's going to be empty stadiums for all um, the question posed to uh, to Don Mattingly today was you know are the Marlins at an advantage because they're used to playing at empty stadiums and I think I think that was a little bit mean um, actually and uh, it's always one of those things, isn't it? That the, it's one of those opposition fan things, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah, it's an advantage because you don't have any fans anyway. Ha, 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 and all that lot. But, yeah, you know, if you're just trying to put any positive spin you can, who knows? That could be an advantage. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think when we look at this at this Marlins uh, roster going into the season anyway, and now we're at a 60-game sprint, and that is that is really how it's best described, um, there's a lot of unknowns because the roster has had a lot of change and there's been some significant additions to this roster from last year. The pitching has stayed settled and is healthy, so that's good. The bullpen is absolutely brand spanking new in the main, which equally was good, um, <laughs> or was good news. But what we, what we don't know is, you know, what are, what are the guys like uh, Jonathan Villar and a Corey Dickerson and a Jesus Aguilar going to bring to the mix and, you know, what is the Marlins offense going to look like now? But for me, the main thing that I'm excited about is having that feeling of excitement for a 60-game sprint where we are in the mix. And unless things go completely sideways in the first month where we go, you know, 8 and 21 or something and we're dead, which I'd be surprised if we did, but you never know, like the heart is still going to be pumping quite heavily into the last month of the season where we're in the mix, which from a fan perspective and from my own perspective, and I think, Dan, you share this also because we've had similar um, timeframes following the team. We've just not felt that before. <laughs> we, we haven't felt that before. And in the time of lockdown and no baseball, I've spent some time going back and watching some playoff games. And wow, 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 wow. It is a Marlins playoff 
game is something like I've never seen before in my life. So if we get to that point, albeit, I mean, I would never have been in the stands anyway, probably, but it's going to be amazing. Um, but either way, there's still a lot that can go wrong, I think, between now and <laughs> now and the World Series, for sure. I mean, the, the pandemic, I don't think, really is 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 under wraps in in the us and that, you know that isn't trending in the right direction so you know there's still things that can go wrong but let's let's kind of take the positives and let, let's pick the bones out of one or two other bits rob newell give me your view on the dh are you a love the dh hate the dh don't really care um so i don't like the dh um just like you i've been looking at some of the old games and I love watching, you know, players like when Jose Fernandez used to get out for a bat, or, or he had such exuberance and confidence to go out there and hit. And the number of times you get players like that, like your Zach Grinkies, and who are really, really surprising with the bat, they're brilliant at the bat, and they cause problems and difficulties. And I also think it causes a strategic thing as well, because if you're a, uh, let's say you're in the bottom of the fifth or the sixth, your pitcher's getting a bit tired, but you'd like another inning out of him. However, he's coming up to a bat and you've got bases loaded or or, or, or someone at least on second base, you know, with, in scoring position. What do you do? Do mm. you risk putting him out there and the chances are he's not going to pull through? Or do you pull him, put a, a you know, a, a, a designated hitter in? And if that doesn't pull off, you've then got the issue of lying on your bullpen. It adds loads of strategy to it as well. I much, much prefer it. Yes, it's annoying if you're a Marlins fan and you think, oh, finally we've got someone on base. And then, you know, you had Wei Yin Chen come up who wasn't bothered with the, you know, with the, you know, there was always those times which frustrating. But I think it just added that dynamic. I far, far, far prefer that to the DH. Who you, the DHs are always some, it's someone who can hit who's not very good in the field a lot of the time. So you always get some kind of big lumbering slugger that gets put into that position normally. And it's nowhere near as exciting. Yeah. Dan, I'm going to give my thoughts in a second, but before I do, Dan, what's your thoughts on this one too? Yeah, I think I, uh, we might have touched on this last time we spoke as well. Same sort of thoughts as Rob. I've never really been a fan. I just like the, um, I like the anxiety that it brings out in the pitcher to, to try and rattle him through, rattle through that early and get him out early without wasting more arms, you know, more you know, pitches on him. You know, there's something to be said if a, a batsman, uh, a pitcher going out to bat, you know, he, he knows that really the best he can hope for is just to take maybe seven or eight pitches out of him. Um, and I, ju- I just like, I like that, as you said, just like that anxiety that it brings where some a, a pitcher's trying to rattle through and get that K, get that out, and he's not getting it. And then that, that inward battle that goes on, and then the same will happen, obviously, the next time when they're, when they're in role diverse. So, um, yeah, I've, I've never really been a fan of, of the DH. Yeah. I, I, do you know what I think is interesting about the DH? And what's confused me is everyone last year, when MLB announced they were making some changes to, okay, minimum three batters and whatever for relievers, all this type of stuff. Like, they were trying to make changes based on, you know, pace of play or time of game and whatever. I think that's what they're trying to do is stop that, you know, get a batter out and then another call to the bullpen or another advert and, you know, it's it slows everything down. You know, the fluidity of the game stops. 
But everyone was losing their minds about that, going, oh, the strategy, the strategy of the manager. You know, that they need that, the left-handed reliever and blah, blah, blah. And talk about a strategical change that is far greater than some left-handed reliever for one left-handed batter or whatever. Like the DH, it's a fundamental strategic change to how a man or what a manager does in game. And hearing Don Mattingly talk today, that's exactly what he said. He went, I just won't have as many decisions to make. I just won't have as many to make in game. And I find it, I don't know, hypocritical. I don't know the right, I don't know if that's the right word, but I find it odd that that isn't being highlighted more like it was when the, the three batter rule was, was announced and everyone was just losing their minds. So I'm, I like seeing, and I think this is probably selfish because I think the Marlins pitchers actually, they can, they can hit. And I've said this before, Pablo, Pablo could, could slot in at number eight for us, number seven, maybe uh, in previous rosters. And, hold his own and I, I'd like to hear from him. I hope we can talk to Pablo or Sandy or, or Caleb this year and, and, and understand if they like hitting. I, I'd be interested to hear if they personally enjoy going out to bat. For me as a sportsman I, I feel like the, the, the competitive element in them would, would you know come to the top and they would want to hit and do well in the main I don't think you, you can't play sport and have in the back of your mind. If I'm hitting, I could get hurt. You could get hurt pitching. <laughs> you know, the, the risks of pitching are far greater probably than, than, than running the bases, you know, in all likelihood. So I think that's a moot point. Um, the reality is, though, guys, I think the DH now is here. It's, a, it's being shoehorned in now. And I would find it, I'd find it, difficult for them to reverse that now um so the dh is in and so really that means that the marlins and the way we construct our rosters will change um because we've been focused on players that have vast flexibility position wise and suit the what was the nl game um to come in and pinch hit pinch run you know whatever's required of them really that goes away now you just you know, you build your roster differently. But it means there's players in the system that may benefit from that also. Me personally, right, the the here and now is Garrett Cooper, Jesus Aguilar are the obvious beneficiaries. Um, you know, Michael Hill, Don Mattingly, last couple of days are saying they're going to cycle through the DH and use it as a way to get, you know, people, people can freshen up. It's not going to be one guy. They've not got big papi sat there. They're going to drop him in for every at-bat in the DH. It's not going to happen. So, um, you know, it's going to be a cycle opportunity for them. Um, but, you know, those guys, Aguilar and, and, and Cooper are obvious. But really, you've got um, Encarnacion that, you know, has got the pop. He's got the pop of a, of a DH that, that, that shone in, in spring training. So I think that's going to be interesting to see what the long-term effect is on how the Marlins go about constructing their their system now, knowing that probably the DH is here for good. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, one final other point, guys, before we get into the 60, is the extra innings change also. This equally maybe has an impact on roster construction, um, but it you know, from the 10th inning on, runner will start at second base. Rob Newell, like it, dislike it, don't care. 
the this sounds really really funky when you think about it you think oh no that that's wrong you know you really you think about the extra in games you you want to see teams do treat it very differently uh, when you get into an extra innings they always very tr- trying to get onto first base no matter what and try to build it through but when you've got someone on second base then it is just instant or can i hit it because if you think about it if you can hit it deep even that it's get caught that guy can get to third base you hit it deep again you can score that run so mm. it is going to encourage a lot of hitting for for long and for deep and I think there's going to be a lot more swinging and misses. They tried it in, in the independent leagues. Apparently, it was quite well liked. Um, so right. um, on that basis, then it, I, I think the, the, the case is if you are in an evening game that starts, let's say, in, in, in Miami at six o'clock or whatever, and then you go into you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 innings, you, you could be beyond midnight Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the problem, isn't it? You know, that sometimes these games go on for so so long, and it loses any suspense to it. This brings it back in because instantly, straight away, you're like, oh, we've got someone on base. How on earth they're going to switch it around in the field to 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 stop that that guy running? Just imagine that we've got someone like Magnari Sierra put on second base. You know what he's going to do? He's going to run because he's going to be quicker than anybody throwing that ball. And we've got a few others on there who also, you could put John Bertie, you can have VR. There's, there's quite a few others. We've got a pretty quick team now who could uh, uh, cause some problems. So maybe that would actually come into our advantage. So to start with, it sounds like, oh, no way. And then when you think about it, you think, actually, it's, 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 it's a pretty good idea. Yeah, I, I think going back to, to what you mentioned, that it was well-received, this is something I don't know in advance of this, so... <laughs> this this may burn me this thread, but um, what would be interesting to understand is what was the impact of that in terms of, you know, it's there to, to stop games going long, right? That's the point, is ha- what was the average number of innings or extra innings that went when they implemented that versus historical? I guess, I don't know that, I haven't researched that. I'll message the fish stripes and they'll find that out in about four minutes, probably knowing them guys. So um, maybe we'll do that. I'm like you, Rob. I I think I find it an interesting wrinkle. And for me, with this season, and I don't know about you, Dan, but I I like the fact that they're, you know, this is a season to try things. So why not? What about you, mate? What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, exactly the full process I was going down. I mean, I I would, just like you just said that, I would be interested to see what the uh, the impact of it was and how quickly and um, or not so quickly, maybe that it, it sort of saw the end of games uh, arise because just from first thought of it, like the only reason why I don't particularly like it is just because I I sort of see like it sounds like it's really could potentially just be a hit away from winning the game. Um, so it sounds like it's almost a bit too far one way um, as an advantage, but but the statistics when we find them out may prove that that's not the case. So. Um, just exactly what you said there was exactly what how, how I was going to word it. it. This is the season to try things. It's an unusual season. Um, so if this is something that has already sort of had some um, representation elsewhere and by all accounts is well-liked and well-received and it's not as straightforward as what I may be picturing it is the fact that potentially you're only a hit away from winning the game um, after a long, you know, hard-fought battle with, it, with your opponent. 
um, then yeah, maybe maybe it is a good thing, and I'm all for it. But yeah, like you said, this is the there's only one time to trial these things, and that's right now, in my opinion. So yeah, uh, yeah interesting. Just a, 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 a stat on this. Um, I was in independent leagues. This was also done in in the AAA and AA last year as well. And and it says that last year the rule succeeded. This is coming from a, a CBS Sports article. The rule has succeeded in those efforts, and seventy percent of extra innings games were resolved after a single inning. And that was during the 1819 season. Um, so that in two years prior, that was true in just 45% of contests. So right. that was by an article by uh, RJ Anderson in the CBS Sports. So, um, yeah, that, that proves that, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that it is successful and it will speed things up. Yeah, well, I mean, great. That's what it's there to do. Um, I guess you can look back and go, well... You know, that isn't baseball or whatever, but hey, you've had nine innings to get it done. Yeah. Right? So, you know, crack on, get it done. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I guess that adds even more impetus to the the other nine innings, right? Where you can't just keep going on and on and on. So, well, that's an, in, you know, it's interesting. I think, Rob, you, you already mentioned uh, Sierra. And that was, I think, the, the thing I was alluding to with, you know, how does that wrinkle uh, make roster can what, what does that lead to on roster construction and you know mags all of a sudden is you know a, a good asset to have and, and i guess thinking back to how this actually is implemented it the player that goes on to second at the start of the tent is the player that was just out at the bottom of the ninth um is my understanding so y- you need to i guess think ahead and go why well, I, I need to put mags in now at the bottom of the ninth because I want him, if he if we don't get a run or whatever, um, we want him to be on base at the top of the or the bottom of the tenth or whatever it is. I don't know, but you, you know what I'm saying. You got to, I guess, make that sacrifice to put the speed guy in as your last out to get him in to the speed spot for extras. Right. I think that's the way it works, but I'm I could be talking absolute rubbish. Like yeah, substituting your goalkeeper in for who's, who's good at saving penalties, isn't it? <laughs> 120 minutes. <laughs> That's exactly it. Exactly. The next thing is you have a shot on target and he, he, he bubbles, it, <laughs> bubbles it through his legs. So, yeah. I think it could also have caused a, a bit of a change in the Marlins thinking and the fact that Matt Kemp was not, he, he wasn't taken on in our 60 man or taken on as a player. Now, mm. it, he was very likely to start maybe in Triple A anyway. So, obviously, that, that option's been removed. But they could have had a situation that now do you look at keeping Kemp on there or someone like Sierra? And you would do, you'd use Sierra for the pace. Exactly. Well, Rob Newell, the absolute ultimate segue from you there. That was We were just at the tail end of our league rules update and how it impacts the Marlins. Let's get into, I guess, relatively briefly on, onto the 60-man and, and, and how this works. And I guess really just to summarize, we, we've got a 60-man player pool. It will start with a 30-man, I guess, active roster that will go down by two players um, a time till you get back down to a 26-man at a certain point. So you start with a 30, um, but you have a pool of 60 to, to, to draw down from. Um, the way the Marlins have, have, have gone about this, you've in effect got your 40-man that was already there, and then you've got an additional 20 that are they've added in. And the 20 they seemingly have added in are 
pretty much the top end prospects is the approach the Marlins have taken with this. They've 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 gone heavy with those guys. Rob, thoughts on on the approach? Did that? I guess that was a logical way of going about it, right? Yeah, I, I think when if you look down the the list, who who's actually in that that sixty man. You've got to have a think about how the season's actually going to work. And normally, I think in a normal season, you're 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 thinking pitching long run. You know, arms are going to get tired. You're going to have to keep cycling through that bullpen. The teams that ultimately get into the the you know the the, the world the playoffs at the end of the season normally have strong bullpens that they can you know switch in and out. So I think that there's a there's a part of the consideration of that. Whereas what you need is a massive impact. You need the impact from your bat straight away. And you need to make sure that, because there's so many games coming sort of in very, very quick succession, that everybody's fresh and that everybody, um, you know, from from both aspects is ready to go. You can't have anybody who's off form. And I think that's probably the reason why that's ended up that way, because you've got those options to flick in and out. Um, I thought there was also some... Um, sort of interesting signings like bringing in Nick Vincent mm. who did really well with the Mariners a couple of years ago you know someone who is experienced low ERA mm. um, and, and that kind of uh, where we things could be maybe getting a little bit difficult in the bullpen you've got someone with a bit more experience to settle it down has been there before is used to the pressure so there, there's some and bringing in Sean Rodriguez as well um, and from a from a batting point of view, um, you know, experienced second baseman. You know, we know him very well from the Phillies. So the what they've kind of added on and bolted on. I know some of these we saw in, in, in spring training, but it all seems to make sense to the sixty man, even though it obviously at that time they didn't. Uh, sorry, sixty game because they didn't know at that time. Um, but um, yeah, I, th- I think it makes perfect sense considering how short and um, compressed this season is. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I, I I like the Nick Vincent move. It it kind of, uh, in some ways, makes me think of like a Romo type play from the season before, where you you know you bring in just a steady Eddie, that see what he does, and you never know. If he does well and the Marlins are out of it anyway, next thing is you flip him to a contender because, well, everyone will be a contention. So if the Marlins really, really have a bad run and, and think, hey, we can make some moves at this kind of end of August deadline now, um, you, you never know. I mean, everyone always needs arms, right? And that's the point. And particularly arms on, you know, minor or you know minimum deals. Uh, and I guess this is all the this is all the challenge of it, right? Where you. You, you basically have your top prospects sat there as outside of your 40. And if you do want to use them next time or the time you do, the service time clock starts immediately. So you're in that position where, you know, is it realistic for us here? If not, they're not really going to dive into that pool. Um, they're just going to work on the development, you know, I guess, in, in, in outside of the games um, because – it's not really beneficial to the Marlins long-term to start the clock on a Max Meyer, a JJ Bladey, a Sixto Sanchez, let's say. I don't know. It's no point in starting the clock and losing a full year of 162 games for, I don't know, five games this year or whatever it may be, if we're out of it. So it's an interesting wrinkle again that, that kind of comes into things. Um, 
Dan the man, the one, I guess, the way the Marlins played it, they named 57 and then they added three um, to the list. Rob's already mentioned two of them. Nick Vincent, who was released by the Giants. You had Sean Rodriguez that was with the club in spring. There were some contractual procedures going on where they actually released him, I believe, and then re-signed him on some sort of different deal. So there was some sort of jiggery-pokery. The final man, though, the number one pick for the Marlins, Max Meyer. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that, mate? Could we see Max this year? Uh, I'd be surprised, but I do, yeah. I do love it that he's there. Um, I mean, I think there was there was a bit of a split opinion from draft night, from what I, from the limited amount I saw. Because there was a lot of people that were just like, "Who? who why have we taken him? Who, who is this guy? It wasn't on anyone's radar." Yeah, but when you spoke, when you actually listened to the, rather than the fans, when you listened to the people that were in the know, they were very happy with that, uh, with that pick. And, um, you know, just from the brief stuff that I've seen with, you know, the slider and so on. Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's another, it's another arm in our arsenal. And I think, as we've already said, you know, if, if anything's going to be any success uh, this season, it's going to be down to uh, how deep, um, a lot of the bullpens are and how how strong the pitching is. And I'll be surprised if we do see Max uh, this year. But it's nice to know that it's it's there if we need it. And I think that's only going to be positive for us because, as we say, I think that's the, this is going to be the way forward. It's who's got the who's got the deepest um, deepest pen. Yeah, just just on the draft, mate. I, I just want to quickly ask you this: six picks, six arms. Yeah, there you the go. there. They're naughty, aren't they? <laughs> it was a naughty strategy, that. <laughs> did, did you like it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is just... You know, we, we've tried the other way, haven't we? We've tried just going for all the power and all the uh, all the big names and the, the, the home runs, but it doesn't get you anywhere if you can't defend it. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to grumble at seeing more uh, depth added to the, uh, to the pitching. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved it. I mean... Uh, I don't know about you guys and, and how you followed the draft. For me personally, I've had no interest historically in the draft whatsoever. I've never like followed it at all. I've just kind of flicked in and looked at the names after and gone, great, I don't know who any of those guys are. I'm not a scout, um, and I don't follow anything to do with high school or college baseball. So it doesn't mean anything to me. This year was different. Perhaps because there was no actual baseball going on. So it was, I guess, real baseball um in in the form of a draft did you guys did you watch any of it follow any of it live in real time only the first pick first pick yeah what about you Uh, rob i did sort of via twitter i just kind of followed it that way rather than watching anything sort of live i i've I've got more interest in it as i've got more interest in the minor leagues Mm -hmm. you you are now want to know who these people are and 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 what their history was, what they've done at college or high school, and uh, and how they could impact, how quickly you're going to see them fly up, um, you know. Uh, and that was that was what was interesting about the range of options that they had in regards to picks. The fact that they went with all six arms, mm. all that have good velocity, all which are considered good athletes. The only sort of slight risk in there was was Dax Fulton, who's had a you know Tommy John. And is uh, you know someone who was a, a, a you know a bit of a flamethrower as well. So we we everybody when it comes to fast pitchers, 
just uh, thinks of Tyler Colick and and reels back in horror that you know of, of how badly that went. Someone who was so so dominant in in you know in their their high school um, sort of you know career and and then then obviously had all these issues. So um, the the fact that they've gone for six is quite good because not all of them are going to make it, but you only want you know a few of them to bring it through and the strength that you're that kind of what we call that that train of pitches we were talking about it a lot last year that you know soon it doesn't matter if someone's injured you've got someone coming in behind to take their place and just going to be as it's going to be just as good consider that what's happened the last few seasons where oh you know our main pitch has gone down or Yep. But we've got nobody sitting in Triple A. We've got no one in Double A who's 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 going to be able to step up to the mark. We're not like that now, and this just just extends that train. It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I like you guys. I didn't watch anything because I think it it was on BT Sport um, for us in the UK anyway. It was being broadcast, but I don't actually have BT Sport. Or I cancelled it anyway while while. There was no sport to watch, so you know every pound counts, I guess, guys. More, more to the beer fund. Um, <laughs> but I, I followed it intently on Twitter in terms of the couple of days in advance. All of the buzz was Asa Lacey, probably because the name just sounds flair. It was a flair-sounding name. Um, when I chatted to uh, uh, the, the guys on, you know, fish on fish on the farm, um, we, we talked and. He said, listen, you know, the Marlins are going to go with the guy with Ace in his name. And I was like, wow, that, yeah, that is the story, you know, Ace or Lacey. Um, it was a sexy name, no doubt. Um, followed a lot of that kind of buzz on Twitter. There was a lot of talk about that. Then actually you started to get a few kind of feeds of Max Meyer coming through. Max Meyer, Max Meyer. Okay, this is interesting. You know, who's this dude? Are the Marlins really going to do that? Um, and then, um, you know, you come to draft night and I was following it on Twitter. It was, I, I loved Twitter draft. It was a lot of fun actually, because I guess you had all the buzz of, right. What are the, what are the tigers doing? Are they taking talk? Of course they had to, and they did. It was the right pick. Then you're into the Orioles at two and you know, who are they going? Austin Martin's there. Asa Lacey, you know, what are you going to take? Neither they're going to go and take, I guess, an outfielder of which I can't even remember his name, Hirschstadt, I think it was. They've ended up signing him about three million under slot, so they basically punted this year. They 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 had the number two pick and decided not to use it really to save money. And then the Marlins were sat there with the, you know, pick anything you want other than talk was basically what we had, and. It was so fun to follow on Twitter because there was stuff blowing up everywhere. What comes, what what I'm comfortable with, and I shared this on on the, on the stuff I put out on on Twitter probably since is, I'm comfortable that the Marlins got the pick, outside of talk who we wanted. We literally had the pick of the of the draft, other than talk, and, and we we took Max Meyer. So for me, I'm I'm very comfortable in that. DJ. DJ Svillick for me has, has not missed a beat in anything he's done so far. He's absolutely hit the nails. So I thought it was awesome. And then for me, again, I've no idea who Dax Fulton was, but when I read up on who he was, what a one-two punch. What a one-two punch these boys were. You had the absolute naughtiest slider that there is, and then you had the absolute best left-arm high schooler, and we got a Tommy John discount. That's what we got. 
because he was a he was an absolute top fifteen pick, but we got Tommy John discount to get him at forty. Um, so if it works out for both of them, it will be an awesome draft. And then I think you then got the best power pitcher or one of the best power pitchers, uh, college arms as well in uh, Kyle Nicholas. I think was was the number three guy, and you know. It was it was so fun to watch. I really enjoyed the draft this year, guys. So um, you know, long may it continue. I I I'd wish that the MLB could find a way to better. I I don't know if commercialize is the right term, but find a way to. You know the M, the NFL draft is such a thing. They've grown that so well commercially, and the MLB are really missing missing a, a step on that one. I think. Um, what's Dan, what what's the NBA draft like? You know, how does that compare to this? Yeah, it's brilliant. And same sort of thing. It's made into a real production. Mm. Uh, what helps with the NBA one though is it's it's not long. You know, it's it's all done. You know, it's, there's thirty picks and that's it, or forty picks for going to the second round, and you know, it's all it's all done. So it doesn't take long to rattle through. But yeah, they they, they do it brilliantly. Call down to the stage, go and get their cap, have their photos done, interview, and then on to the next one. So they've they've done very well at promoting it. So I agree with you. It's something MLB uh, may be missing a trick. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what the future holds. I think there's a few, I guess, commercial or fan-related elements that I think they need to grow the game and and work out what the strategy is in that space. But we'll see. Right, guys, we've covered a lot of ground there. I I just want to get a final thought on the negotiation bit. It's it's right for us to cover that because we we didn't get into that in the um, the last podcast when we spoke. Rob, just... Give me a sense in terms of how you felt about how the MLB, MLBPA negotiations played out in public and how you, I guess, how you feel about what we've now got. Are you comfortable? Were you happy? I thought it was pretty awful. I think if, if there was just some, you know, I don't know why it ended up being uh, kind of, uh, it was almost seemed like one announcement would come out and then the other side would announce something, and 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 you're thinking, just announce it to each other and and deal with it internally. Yes, there things will get leaked out all over the place, especially from the players' union, because the players have a, a vested interest and they will show their feelings. But it just seems silly. It, what it seemed to be, it was like, oh, okay, we could potentially have eighty games. Oh, they're still negotiating. Seventy games. They're still negotiating. Sixty games. Yeah, at one point, think what we're going to have like ten game season. Get on with it, and that was the thing that was disappointing. And the the, the thing that's in it was always in the back of the mind for someone who's 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 followed the game for a longer period of time is they've had strikes before, and it really affected two seasons. Um, you know, really cut down the uh, the nineteen. Uh, just try, I think it was ninety five, ninety six season. I think if I got that right. Um, so you know, um, the. the with with those, um, actually, that's ninety four, ninety five. Should I say yes? But yeah. the, with you, th- you start thinking, oh no, is this now going to go completely all wrong? And they're going to be a strike. There's going to be no baseball. The problem was with that was where NBA had been saying, you know, our season's going to start. NASCAR was was getting underway. Um, you know, the NFL obviously their seasons later, but they were still making pre- preparations in regards to the coronavirus. It made the MLB look shambolic. Mm. And that's the problem. And also there's a, a sub point to this as well, 
is the whole way that the whole minor leagues was just treated within this, let alone the, the negotiations towards the, the, the players, um, where it seemed to be a, a forgotten thing. We discussed it more in detail in the last podcast, but mm-hmm. it was there was there was no consideration of what effect this would have with the minor leagues, how they'd be used or needed. We're talking about taxi squads and the 60-man and all that. But it seemed to be completely forgotten. Uh, it's just like, oh, maybe from uh, the MLB will take advantage of this and they'll get what they want in regards to cutting the, the number of minor league teams and restructuring the whole thing. So it felt a little bit um, premeditated in the way the MLB were running things. I can understand it fully if you've got someone on a contract and they're only playing half the number of games, they get you know half the pay. And that's, that, that's what David Sampson said in your podcast and he really, really detailed that out really well. That was interesting to hear. But on the flip side, this is a really unusual situation. And I think the MLB could have given a far more leeway. And I think we could have been weeks ahead of where we are now. Yeah. What, what's, what's your kind of sense on it, Dan? Uh, you're kind of nodding away there. so. Mm. Yeah, I think Rob, Rob's nailed it, really. I just think mm. that the whole thing just seemed to all lack on complete, just basic communication. Yeah. And I think that, um, as Rob said, we, we could have been potentially even playing ba- baseball within the next week or so. Um, we could have we could have even been there now. Um, just fundamentals. It's not even it's a, it's a strange situation, um, but it just felt like that it was all unnecessarily complicated just because no one was really filtering things through the right channels properly. I mean, I know I go back to uh, basketball quite a lot with my references, but you know that our commission, the commissioner in the NBA, fantastic, got a plan sorted communicated it well, gave all the players the reassurances they needed, both in terms of health, um, as much as you could, of course, and um, obviously monetary values and so on, gave everybody the absolute choice to make the decision if they wanted to take part or if they didn't, and there'd be no penalty if they didn't want to. And now the plan was in place and we were going to be up and running soon. And it just seemed like it took forever to get to that stage with MLB. So there's some lessons to be learned, I think, just with basic fundamentals from top to bottom in terms of communication. Yeah. It it really just wasn't in general. It just wasn't a good look for for any, for the sport, was it? I mean, that's the disappointing thing is the window of opportunity for for baseball to get their act together and give the world an opportunity to enjoy, you know, a favourite pastime. It was there yeah. because other other sports were out of season and were shut down because of COVID, etc. The window of opportunity was there. And they absolutely fudged it. They let money get in the way of what is a game. And the game is nothing without the fans. And for me, they've completely let the fans down. It's When you look back on this, when we strip it all back, it's absolutely shocking what went on. Very disappointing. Luckily, you know, we're the diehards. We're the diehards that, that you know, will follow the game. You know, we're Marlins fans. Bloody hell, we're diehards of baseball. Um, <laughs> but this was an opportunity to reach out to new audiences, tap into new audiences that just have never really given the time to baseball. It was absolutely shocking how it all played out. And, and the way everything played out in the media was just absolutely terrible. Yeah. For me... Really, the problem is, there's the, I guess, the fundamentals to it is there is no trust. Really, the owners the owners are saying one thing and the players are saying prove it, and the owners aren't proving anything. 
they're saying, well, we'll lose money, we'll lose money, we'll lose money. Prove it then. And for me, I don't think the proof ever came. At least in the public, it didn't come. And I understand the point. You need the ticket revenue. You need all the, you know, the beer sales and the popcorn sales and whatever. But, you know, there's wider, there's a, there should be a wider, longer-term view, and they've completely fudged it, which is very disappointing. Um, let's not finish on that topic, guys. And, and Rob, you've already mentioned the miners were... I mean, we talk about the shitty end of a shitty stick. Um, the miners really got that, and it got, I guess, officially confirmed that there is no minor league season this year. The Wichita wind surge uh, will make their... Uh, it all being well, that they will make their debut next year in, in 2021. Um, but the minor leagues, mate, they've really... The minor leaguers, they've... They've been hung out to dry heavily here, right? Yeah, and there there was a, a plan before the coronavirus hit about uh, restructuring uh, minor leagues anyway, which would have removed a significant number of teams. And and to be honest with you, it looks like they're going to get their wish anyway, but in the worst possible way. Uh, there is a risk of uh, up to like a quarter of uh, minor league teams going out of business. Um, and, um, you know, that, that was from a, an article in the New York Times. Um, and it's an interesting way of looking at it because it's not, you know, the, the reason why, just, just take it back, the reason why the MLB were trying to uh, cut the leagues down was, um, you know, to improve. It was supposed to improve uh, on player development, uh, reduce travel um, and upgrade facilities. And we talked in the last podcast about players like Trevor Richards would have never, ever got the chance. And the number of people, a uh, number of players that were drafted well, 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 well down, who we would have never, ever seen, like Brandon Kinsler, would not would maybe not be a Marlin today if there wasn't that strong and in-depth minor league system the big big problem here is that um uh, you know these are teams that who are in communities they will lose their ball club they'll have no baseball this year and even if they do come back this year you've got staff who may not be paid who might be laid off um and you've got a year where players might be let's say they might be be triple a level who will turn around and go, well, nothing's happening this year. I think this is over and I'll go do something else. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll retire from baseball. There'll be younger players through the system thinking, you know, this is now going to be too hard. And for me to be on such a, a, a pittance of a wage, I, I just can't do it anymore. And I think you're going to find a lot of talent is going to vanish. Mm. Then from the high school and college perspective, there'd be players. If you think of the number of players who've had the option of, you know, either being uh, like Tommy Eveld played, you know, college football or played baseball. Uh, that Tommy Eveld might turn around and go, I'm going to go football route because, you know, uh, uh, MLB is a disaster and I'm, I'm never going to be getting my way through it. So I think this is the real risk that we're going to see a reduction in quality and um, a reduction in teams. And there are going to be teams where there could be communities who are going to lose their teams now. And that's a shame. And we got this, we're quite fearful. Obviously, there's the, the risk of the Batavia Muck Dogs and the Clinton Lumber Kings being axed anyway. But, you know, uh, you know they're, they're real strong community teams. And are they going to be back next year? Well, let, let, let's hope so. Um, let's hope there is a way for these teams to get through. Um, and, um, yeah, my advice for you, for the, the listeners out there, go and, go and buy one of their shirts, buy a T-shirt, do something to support them. 
um, because this is where all your um, Marlin stars come from. We, we can't neglect the, the minor leagues in the way that it has been done. Although, interestingly, one thing that has come out of this is that there is the, the potential that there'll be MLB teams taking over some of these minor league teams um, that could be struggling to, to keep that strength within there. But we'll just wait and see. But it's a shame it's that uh, it's not yeah. going ahead this year at all. Yeah, it, it definitely is. It's, it's the inevitable announcement, unfortunately. But I must say, and just to, I guess, shine a light on particularly Michael Hill's feedback in this area uh, this week was there remains a hope that they can find a way to get the guys in the Marlins system who aren't on the 60, you know, an opportunity to, to play some sort of ball this year somehow. What, they, it wasn't clear what that looks like, but they still hold a hope that there'll be some sort of development league, something, you know, uh, something that can be spun up to, I guess, give these guys an opportunity. Because this is, you know, for the Marlins, this is this really impacts us. Our strategy is built around loading the farm and developing the guys. You know, that's what that's what we've based our strategy on for the past couple of years. So this really impacts us. Some other teams, I guess, may have you know less. It may be less impact to them, but yeah, it's it's the minor leagues in general. The treatment of the players seemingly below the kind of I guess the the double A level is, is seemingly pretty shocking in general. Um, no surprise they've been given no support um, from above. Like it's proper pyramid stuff here where the top is looked after themselves and the rest are just cast away. I mean, it's, I guess, billion dollar, couple of billion dollar industry and whatever. And they can't support, you know, these guys, which are the, the lifeblood of it, the fans and these guys, and both of them have been shafted. So shocking scenes. Let's finish with some wild takes I don't know if it's wild takes, but let's just finish on some takes. Uh, you know, let's let's have a bit of fun at the end. We can't finish on on, on a downer. What I, what I want to hear from you guys, and I'll I'll give you a minute or two to dwell on it. A very early first day of summer camp projection for the Marlins in their sixty game sprint. Will they make the playoffs? Yes or no. Home run leader. And not blown save leader. Uh, we'll we'll go for strikeout leader. How about them? So we've got Marlins overall record, playoffs yes or no, home run leader and strikeout leader. <laughs> Tough ones then. Who's who's gonna take who's gonna take it on first? Right. Do you want me? Do you want me have a go? Okay. So uh, their record, the Marlins. I think they will get thirty-two wins, um, but I don't think that's going to be enough to get them into the postseason. And mm. um, uh, it uh, it might do, but it, it might not be enough. That's where that's where I think. I think. I think we're going to surprise some people, but there, there's still going to be some strong teams out there. And you've got to remember, we've got some tough games. I think that's the, the bit that we, we kind of forget. Home runs, I'm actually going for Brian Anderson. Mm. I can see him going on a bit of a, a, a bit of a tear and, um, yeah, sort of really shaking it up. Um, what, what was the other one? Was it strikeout? Strikeout, strikeout king. Uh, 
so you, you're talking from um, uh, the arm, not not someone in the back. What were what you talking? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, as in a pitcher who, uh, who who leads the number of strikeouts, not not the the negative one. No. Okay. Well, that that leaves Alfaro safe then. Um, then um, I will go with. Oh, it's, it's uh, is it going to be? Is it going to be Caleb or Sandy? No, I, I think this is this is Sandy. I can see Sandy in a in a, a quick fire season um, being pretty hot, um, and I think he might up it a bit. So Sandy. All right, solid suggestions, Rob. I mean, I love. I I feel like last year you were projecting above five hundred ball in one hundred and sixty two games from memory. I mean, do you want to cast your mind back to what you went with? Yeah, I think I said. Uh, I think. Yeah, I was a bit too. Well, did I go for five hundred last year, and then said, we, "Yeah, I, I'll have to wind back to that time when I was on uh, on the Phillies TV thing, whatever it was, the Phillies UK." Um, uh, and what I was said, I think I drank too much then, anyway. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I, I'd, I'd love to say that we could beat our best ever, you know, you know, opening sixty day record of thirty four games, and and really, really go all the way. Um, I'm just just wary about the teams that we've got around us, but you know, 32, you know, that's that's over over 500. What's that? 530. So they could take us there. Let's say we did the playoffs with that, then we're we're unbeaten, aren't we, in postseason? So quite clearly, if we get in there, we're going all the way. There you go. There you go. Follow that one up, Dan. <laughs> well, I mean, there's when you do look at it. But you step back and you look at the schedule and look at it. Well, we don't have the actual schedule yet, but we know the teams we're going to be playing. There isn't any reason that anyone saying should be saying that we're going to get uh, do anything particularly special. But that's not what I'm about. I, I'm going to say um, I'm going to say that we're going to get to 35 wins, which will take us into the postseason. And uh, and then it's anybody's game. And uh, why wow. not? Why Division not? winner. Division why winner not, or wild why, card? Why not us, Pete? Why not us? Why not us? Why not us? Are we winning the NL East with thirty-five games, or are we? Um, I probably think I'll probably say no. I reckon there's going to be. Um, uh, it won't be far off of that. Mm. Might be a couple above. I mean, this is this is a women of prayer. This is just me going into hyper uh, hyper positivity mode. Love um, it. But, but we've got to do it. We've got to do it. It's a, it's a different season. It's unique. It's a shootout. Um, so yeah, uh, in the words of Michael Hill, why not us? So yes, uh, in the postseason we are. Um, I'm going to say I've got a feeling Alfaro is going to be home run leader, and I hope he is because I love him, love Me the guy. Too. So um, yeah, I've got a little feeling about about Alfaro. He was uh, he was on good form in patches last season. So yeah, excited to see him with his power. And um, of course, no surprises, but it'll be Dr. K, uh, Caleb for, uh, for for most strikeouts. But um, I do agree with what Rob said, by the way, completely. Um, I think this is going to be Sandy's year. With a shorter season, I think we'll see him a little bit more unleashed. And uh, I think he'll be a bit more aggressive and he'll go for it. So um, if I wasn't uh, in the number one Caleb Smith fan club uh, fanboy, then I'd be saying Sandy. But I've got to stick my man. Love it. Love it. Great summary, guys. A lot of positivity. Uh, like, you, like you said, Dan, when you take a step back and look at the schedule, the Marlins have the second hardest schedule. The, the Orioles have the toughest schedule overall, I believe, um, going into things um, based on last year's results. 
Um, but the Marlins are second. I guess where things will play out here is, I think if the Marlins played 162 games, we wouldn't be anywhere near the number one pick at all. I just don't believe you would. I think we've improved quite significantly and other teams really haven't. If things do go sideways, then we'll all of a sudden have another year where we're back in a top five pick spot. So that isn't going to hurt us. So if things do go sideways, pull the plug quick, I think, is probably you know the right thing to do. Um, you know, and again, there was all stuff linked to service time, whatever, but all the plug quick. I think it's going to be very tough for us, but the reality is it is a sprint. Anything can happen. We can get out hot. What I do know is we have got top draw pitching. There's a lot of top draw pitching, actually, in, in some of the scenes we, we play also, but our pitching's good. We know we're going to have a good starter every day. Bullpen's looking good. We've got some more pop. Hitting coach is, he loves pop. I mean, who knows? Who knows? My gut feel is we're under 500 ball though, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the pessimistic side and take like a I don't know 27 games, which I think you know will mean we're still competitive right to the end. We will yeah. still have a chance to make the wild card even in the last week. I think that's all we want to see, really, isn't it? I mean, when we got off to this season, like just gone, uh, where we started so cold and it was over before it started. Yeah. I think I know you know I'm. I'm going into that sort of hyper-positive mode just because it's such a unique season and that's who I am anyway. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. If, we, we can, if we're in just in around that wild spot, you know, that, that's different. That's something to be excited about all the way through to the end. That's, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the beauty is we could be going into the last week of the season with still something to play for, which would be awesome and would really impact my sleep schedule like probably you boys as well. Hey, the one thing as well we didn't talk about... Haven't seen the schedule yet. I'm really intrigued to see the the game times. My gut feel again is there may be some more UK friendlies. I, I don't know why I think that, but just I don't know if there's going to be more double headers or whatever. I don't. It just makes sense to play double headers, like minimize the risk by getting all the players there and you know play two rather than one, rather than you know sitting in hotels longer than you need to. I don't know. So interesting to see how that one plays out. My home run leader, I, Alfaro was on my list. BA, of course, is on my list. I'm going to go Isan Diaz for mine. I love Isan. I think he's going to explode uh, this year. I think he would have exploded uh, across 162. He's going to explode in 60. Isan's my man. Strikeout king. How about this one? Rose Ureña. <laughs> Book it. Book it for Rose. So, is he going to be your opening day starter, or is that definitely Sandy? You posed that question on Twitter, didn't you? Most the the main feedback was was Sandy for that was that would be the expectation. I will um, I will endeavour to find that out for you in the coming weeks as best I can. If if it isn't announced, I will ask the question and see if uh, I am stonewalled. Um, I don't know. We'll see how that plays out, but. Yeah, the, the the consensus was Sandy on that. Um, I mean, who knows what the strategy is? Who knows what the pitching strategy is? You know, a five-man rotation is relevant in a 60-game season. Are you just going to... Are you going to have a, a an eight-man rotation, but actually they 
they just pitch three, four innings sprints in a game and actually you don't go six, seven, eight, you go three or four and you back to back it. I don't know. Next thing is you've got Arania as the opener for three and Pablo does three and Kinsler closes up. I don't know. I mean, who knows, guys? Listen, conscious of time, let's let's call it a day there. We've just tipped over the hour, so you know, we always try to target the hour now. Um Rob Newell, Dan Healy. Great to talk, guys. I hope we'll be back next week. Um, if not next week, it'll be the week after. So we'll see how we get on. We'll see how things develop. Um, guys, appreciate your time as always. Um, episode 47 is in the books. And we'll be back very soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.